Now, I want to take you into the second part of this journey called Contagious Courage. There's something that's really strong on my heart. If you go to the book of Luke chapter 9, I did not give this to the team earlier, but I need to back up from Luke chapter 10 to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. You know, when I became a Christian, as it's stated in this testimony, in this magazine, as well as in the book Transform, one of the things that immediately was an attraction to me, especially in my transformation, as, as captured here in this book, was simply the fact that I saw Jesus as a man of authority. I saw him bold. I saw him courageous. I saw that he was a man's man, and that courageousness came from understanding who's in control. And uh, Jesus definitely knew the Father was in control, even though as I began to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I saw this fight he had with religious leaders at that time but I saw something really different in him, and I saw a courageousness in him, not only in him being my Savior, but that he was Lord, and he was Lord when he was before he was crucified and after he was crucified. I mean, he had that conviction in his heart. And the early church had some things really different about them. You say, well, Pastor Brian, it's because Jesus was with them. Well, that's true. But, you know, we have the Holy Spirit inside of every believer. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our God, our empowerment. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. It's awesome to have walked with Jesus side by side or be around him. But how about having the Spirit of God with you 24-7? That completely is a game changer, in my opinion. And over here in Luke, chapter 9, there's a, there's a principle I want to show you, and this, this, this is something I've really never shared before in this kind of conviction, so I want you to allow me just to give me a couple of minutes here to set this up for you, and, and I want to really take a look at Christianity the way I saw it then and the way I, I think it needs to be seen now and how it's diverted, in my personal opinion. Jesus had a model of ministry, and we're familiar with this in chapter 9 in verse 1. He says, he called 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases, verse 1. And then verse 2, he said to them, preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Well, most people traditionally take that verse of scripture and say, yes, Pastor Brian, I believe that. He had these 12 special men. They were the 12 apostles. They were different from us and uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's what we've been taught in tradition, have we not? Okay. However, that's all true. But to go into chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, just one chapter over in the same verses one and two, what does Jesus do here? He said, after these things, the Lord appointed 70. Everybody say 70. 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face to every city and place where he would go. So what's Jesus doing here? He took 12 and he turned them into 70, right? So Jesus is not just about this original 12. And so much emphasis in tradition, especially the denomination I came from, it's all about the 12 who had the special calling from Jesus. But you know, God's not a respecter of persons. And even though he chose those 12 because they were the original 12 that were with him at the time, He's chose 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, all of us, in my opinion, does he not? He's not a respecter of persons. And I think the problem here is we've had this focus and identity on these 12 individuals, but it says right here in verse number one, it says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 also, others also, and he sent them two by two. In verse number two, it says, the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. And then Jesus dictates what they're 
there to do from verses three, four, five, six, and seven. And notice what he gets down to in verse number nine. He said, go out and heal the sick after you go out and go to these cities. What's the key thing he says in verse number nine? He says what? Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. You say, Pastor Brian, what are you trying to say this morning in this message? Well, I'm trying to say that Jesus set a pattern of ministry. He set something up, in my opinion, that's been overlooked, and I believe Satan does not want us to have a revelation of, and I think it's powerful when we see these things, and I, I have been seeing these things for years, and I've, I've addressed up to them and addressed around them and even talked about them to a certain degree, but my conviction is getting stronger about these things, and the, the courage to speak about them is even greater. Notice what it says in verse number 17. Of Luke chapter 10, it said, the 70 returned saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Notice what they said there. They said demons. They just didn't say people or they talked about lives being changed. They talked about authority, spiritual authority. And watch this. And Jesus in verse 18, look what he says. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, notice verse number 19. Behold, I do what? I give you. Everybody say, I give you. Now let's read it together, verse 19. Now watch this. You really need to zero on this. It says, behold, let's read together. One, two, three. Behold, I give you power or authority to trample over serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, you say, Pastor Brian, that was for that generation and that time. That was just for those special people. We're going to get to that in just a second. Just hold that thought. But look what Jesus again says in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice this, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. Notice that phrase, the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in, the, in heaven. All right, let's take it even a step further in verse 21. Verse 21, it says, in that hour, notice this phrase now, stay with me in verse 21. In that hour, look what happens to Jesus. It says, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. What is he saying here? He's saying, you know what? This multiplication from 12 to 70 to eventually 120 and on and on is beginning to happen. That's the reason that Jesus was happy, not because he was just being proclaimed the Lord, but that people were following him and doing what? They were taking authority over the enemy that was against them. Isn't that awesome? Jesus was happy about it. He was seeing this pattern and model of ministry. And uh, so many times we think, again, these 12 are special, these 70 are special. Ladies and gentlemen, there has been given to you and I, and Jesus, it says right here, he was happy about this. He had a sense of fulfillment in this happening. And I think what has happened through the years, we have diminished who we are in the Lord as far as our spiritual authority. And, and, and consequently, it's caused us not to be courageous, but actually... T- intimidated by our enemy. Because Satan does three things very well. He kills, he steals, and destroys, and he's very consistent at doing that. But Jesus set this pattern of ministry up. He set this model of ministry up. And then there are three commissions that I just want to take you to, the great commissions they're called. They're in Matthew, Mark, and Acts. And these are the three three things that Jesus said right after he was resurrected that he instructed you and I and us to do, not just it was a commandment from the disciples and all these others. It was a 
commandment for you and I. Let's look at the first one in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 16, excuse me. I want you to follow with me now. Don't, don't get distracted on this. This is something that can change your life. Matthew 28, when you get a revelation of this. Matthew 28. I'm sorry, I, I sent the wrong reference. It's Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Look at this. This is the Great Commission, but in my opinion, I think it's been <laughs> labeled the Great Omission, if you allow me to say that. Notice what it says here, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse number 16. The 11 disciples went, went away from Galilee to the mountain which Jesus appointed for them in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So uh, again, doubt and unbelief has always battled all of us and battled them. But look at verse 18, everybody. Notice this. Watch this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Isn't that awesome? Now, again, what does he say there in the next verse in verse 19? What's the key word? What's that first word in verse number 19? Come on, one more time. Go. Go. It says what? Go, therefore, and make disciples or followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what does Jesus say when he gives gives all of us this authority and power? He says, you go not in your power, but in my power. And so many times people think, well, it's the Pope who has the power. It's the church. It's the pastor. It's the leadership. True. In, in, essence, in essence, yes, there is a structure. There is a spiritual authority. But ladies and gentlemen, where Satan, I believe, has snuck in and taken away the true meaning of the church or the body of Christ is the fact that we put all the power on the fivefold ministry when that is true. And in essence, they are the spiritual authority. But every believer, everybody say every believer, Every believer has been commissioned and authorized to represent him, to be an ambassador, to go forth in his name with his power. And I think so many times we belittled our own feeling, I mean, belittled who we are in him and did it based on feelings. Well, Pastor Brian, I sure can't pray for anybody or or feel like I'm supposed to minister to anybody. I understand that. But feelings have nothing to do with this at all. It's all about faith. Notice what it says in verse number 20. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things. So what are all things? All things is what he did in Luke 9 and 10, where he gave these disciples, he gave this 70, he gave this 120. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus never gave it to the 70, if he never gave it to the 120, if he never had this first commission, I would not be talking about it today. However, Jesus is the most brilliant man that has ever walked the earth. He is the greatest leader that has ever graced this entire planet. He is the wisest and the smartest man. He knew what to say. He knew when to say it. He knew how to say it. And he said these things specifically. And Satan has mocked us, made fun of us, and got us into religious wars and fighting over how, you know, what we're to wear to church and how big our steeples should be. And, you know, did this happen and that happen as far as history or theologically and all these kind of things when all the, the real message that Jesus was doing and saying at the time was you take this good news of who I am and you go change people's lives spiritually, physically, and then get them into eternity. Jesus had a threefold ministry, preaching, teaching, and what's the third one? Healing. Come on now, I can't hear you, Sergeant Carter says. Uh, healing. Has that changed? It has not changed, but we've been intimidated at the fact we've been pushed away in the fact that, boy, COVID's bigger than the name of Jesus. 
I can't find where COVID's bigger in the name of Jesus. As much as I hate cancer, I can't find cancer's bigger in the name of Jesus or heart disease or any other kind of sickness or disease. You say, Pastor Brian, where are you trying to go with this? I'm trying to tell you that you've been authorized and commissioned with a greater assignment for your life than just moving through this life and trying to endure it to get to heaven. Boy, that's good preaching today. Mark 16. This is the other great commission. And of course, all my friends in the denomination I came out of, they completely ignore chapter 16. And they say that it stops at verse number 13. They completely ignore these other verses of scripture. Isn't that sad? They literally omit it. I mean, how, why, why would you start in the? Why would you stop a chapter in verse on verse number thirteen? Uh, uh-uh. uh. No, 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 no. When people do not understand something in religious circles, you know what they do? Especially religious leaders, they ignore it. They simply move on to something else. Hey, listen. When I got born again, I was not looking for religion. I was not looking for theology. I was looking for transformation, first of all. And that transformation made me a different man and brought me from this to where I am today. I'll never forget going to my college dorm right after I got born again. I was going to a speech class. I hated speech class. The thought of getting up and talking to people just absolutely bothered me. I could not stand the fact that I had to go to this stupid speech class. And I was going to that class, Shelby, and I was fussing and griping. I just became a Christian thinking, God, this is a waste of time. This is a waste of time. I'll never be talking to people in all my life, and uh, talking before people in, uh, in my life. I'm just going to be talking to people. And I heard way down in my gut. I mean, the moment I put my hand on that door of that building at Jacksonville State University and opened it up, the speech class was right down the hall and to the right. The Lord just really put a vision in me that I would be speaking before thousands of people. I couldn't believe it. And I walked down that hall. I went to the bathroom before I went to the classroom, shut the door, went into the stall, didn't use the, I put my little backpack thing down. I said, I just lifted my hands. I said, Lord, I said, if you want to do something in my life in this area, then not only have you transformed me from the inside, but you got to transform me as far as my mind and show me what you want me to do with my life as far as if you want me to minister for you. And I did that class. I actually enjoyed it. I passed it and I made my first speech in that. But I went to the dorm room that night and that's when I opened my Bible and I began to see the things I'm seeing you, that we are not only called to be saved and share the gospel, we're called to minister. And I wasn't talking about just being in the ministry. I was talking about being a minister. And actually at the time, I was still wanting to play the drums professionally, but be a minister. And that's when I went on my first trip to... uh, um, Knoxville, Tennessee, to the Percussive Arts Society's conventions where all the famous drummers come in that, you know, gather together. And it's like a who's who. But in this convention, we could talk to one another. You wasn't, you know, no one, no, you could, I mean, you could get autographs, but I mean, it wasn't that place where you, everybody was enamored by how famous you were. It was just a real respectable place where we could be together, a couple of thousand of us, but nobody was bothering anybody. And man, I'm talking to some of the most famous people that I admired, and I'm sharing the gospel with them and talking to them about Jesus and ministering to them and praying for them. 
I prayed for one famous drummer who was getting to ready to go on the road with Ozzy Osbourne, and he definitely needed prayer that day. <laughs> so anyway, and I prayed for Ozzy with him. And if you don't know who Ozzy is, then Google him. You'll see he needs a lot of prayer. And uh, anyway, I prayed with him. I'll never forget, I prayed with him. We're at this bar thing. He's getting a vodka and orange juice, and I'm getting an orange juice, okay? And I just, I just went over there and prayed with him. His name is Carmen Appas. He played with uh, Rod Stewart and uh, just a great, humble man of God. I befriended him on Facebook, just a precious man. My point with all that is I saw myself as a minister of the gospel, even though I was still considering still playing in the industry. My point with all that is it's a different thing when you see this commission, which has become the old mission, in my opinion. What's what Jesus says in verse 15? He said this in verse 14, excuse me. He sat at the table with the 11 and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe those things that he had, that, that, uh, who had seen him after his, after his resurrection. And I tell you what, unbelief and hardness of heart will get you in trouble every time. Notice verse 15. It says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe is condemned. Watch verse 17. Check out verse 17. And these signs, everybody say these signs. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will what? Have authority over who? The devil. They will pray in the Holy Spirit. They'll have this new prayer language. They'll, they'll have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Notice what it says in verse 18. He says they will take up serpents. That means literal snakes. Not, not really. But they'll have authority over the enemy. They'll have authority over the enemy because what Jesus is saying, serpents, is he's going back to the garden. Who is When we think about a snake, Mr. Anderson and I think of snakes, we think of them definitely as demonic. Oh, G Jesus is saying there, we don't like snakes. You can have a pet snake, but you're not bringing your pet snake around me, okay? Uh, the pet snakes need to die. That's all I'm saying, okay? I, have no, I love dogs, love cats. So I'll put up with all those things. I'll even put up with your pet horses and cows. But pet snakes, in the words of my daddy, H-E-L-L, -L, no. <laughs> anyway, that's what it says. They'll take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not by any means hurt them. Look what it says at the end of that verse. They will what? Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That is something that is stronger and stronger and stronger in me. Before the pandemic, Dave and I were doing healing school. Dave and I commissioned to do a healing school. We still want to do that. Dave Nellette believes in healing like I do. We believe it's the will of God, the way of God, and for you to do this, not just for us to teach it, which we did before the, the, the you know, pandemic happened. And we were diligent to do that, but we, we felt like it was not just teaching and preaching healing for you to receive it, for teaching and preaching for healing for you to go give it. And notice what it says in verses 18 and 19. I mean, 19 and 20, it says, after the Lord had spoken these things, he was received up in heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. Most places and most people think it stops there. But look what Jesus said in verse number 20. He said, and they went out and they preached what Jesus told them to do. And look what Jesus did. He was what? Let's read it together. The Lord working with them, confirming these words with what? Accompanying signs. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real Christianity. Is it not? Am I, am I right or wrong? You judge me. You tell me after the service, you send me notes and say, well, Pastor Brian, I don't think Christianity. This is Christianity. And I'm not talking about you going and getting in somebody's face necessarily, but I'm also talking about you not being ashamed of the power and the presence of your Father God through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to pray for somebody. And you are not the healer. He's still the healer. 
He is still the healer. He is still the deliverer, not you. But you are his con- the, the one that he's working through, if you'll allow me to say that. And so many times we're so intimidated by this and just back off and say, oh no, I can't do this, Pastor Brian. I, I just can't do this. Well, turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts quickly. I ain't running out of time. But I'm getting there as fast as I can and talking as fast as I can, even though I need to slow down. <laughs> Acts chapter one, verse eight. Well, that's what it says here in verse number one. It said, oh, the former account, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day he was taken up, and he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles he chosen. Notice what it says, that Jesus began something. Jesus has never stopped his ministry in the earth. He has never ended his healing ministry. As a matter of fact, in verse four, what did he say? Being assembled together, he commanded them to depart to Jerusalem and wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse number five, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? In verse number eight, why as you've been given the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power to do what? Feel good about yourself? No, absolutely not. Power to minister to someone. You say, Pastor Brian, I work in a cubicle at work. I work at home. I work online. How am I going to receive and do this as far as this kind of ministry? Well, I'm not asking you just to, you know, overthrow yourself on someone and just, you know, shock them. It can if the Lord leads you. But at the same time, not being ashamed of the fact if you took somebody by the hand or just at a distance, say, and prayed for them in the name of Jesus to be healed, to be set free, to be delivered delivered and talk to our enemy instead of talking to God. Most believers don't understand the authority we've been given and we're spending all of our time talking to God when most of our prayers should be talking to God with thanksgiving, but also talking to the enemy. This is something my prayer life has changed immensely. I think we need to be obeying God other than our feelings and traditions, number one. Number two, quickly, faith is courage in believing that God is good. Acts 10, 38. What does it say in Acts 10, 38? Just, just quickly here. It says this, Jesus did what in Acts 10, 38? Watch this verse of scripture. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all who were what? Oppressed by who? Oppressed by who? The devil, for God was with him. How about you put your name in there? How God anointed Brian Jacobs of Fort Worth, Texas with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Pastor Brian, that's blasphemous to do that. That's not blasphemous at all in the light of what Jesus said. Jesus said for us to go do that. And so many times we're, you know, Pastor Brian, you pray for people or Dave and Shelby or the elders or whoever, these ministers, you need to pray for these people. Sometimes people need to be prayed for by you and they don't need a long theological prayer. They don't need a discourse in theology. They need a prayer in the name of Jesus and by his name and authority for them to receive what they are believing God for. That's all they need. They don't need to be counseled necessarily about the, all the theological scriptures that need to be talked about as far as the book of Revelation. Nothing wrong with that. It has its time and its place. But sometimes when someone is dealing with cancer, they could really care less where the apostle Paul was in the book of Acts as far as the cities he went to, okay? They want to know, how can I get out of this freedom? I can get freedom from this sickness and disease. And who's the power authority? Is it the doctors or is it the name of Jesus? Well, we can work with both. We can work with both. I cannot help but think of Ted Turner. Ted Turner's in his mid-80s now. How many of you heard of Ted Turner, the founder of CB, of, of 
alternative broadcasting of, you know, of all the news networks he has. I mean, you know, it's all there under his name. But he felt like God had called him in the ministry as a young man. And he had a, if I understand this correctly, a family member, a very close family member got sick and he prayed and prayed and prayed and earnestly prayed and she died. And at that point in Ted Turner's life, he made a vow that he was going to be anti-Christian. So he spent the rest of his life until now. Well, recently he got divorced from Jane Fonda and actually Jane Fonda became a Christian and he did not hold that against her. He said that, quote, you know, her becoming a Christian was not what caused our marriage to separate and dissolve. So he wasn't against her, and he's actually been leaning more towards Christian faith than he ever has before, and now he's in his mid-80s. But I mean, when he was, years ago, he was anti-Christian all the way. But the real root of that story and the real root of the situation is the fact that he became bitter towards God. He became bitter because of religion taught him that God is not good, that people may not get healed and people could get healed, whatever the mood God's in and you know, you know what, what was done in the Old Testament, all these words and things I'm talking about today, that's all passed away. That's irrelevant today. I mean, Jesus had the apostles, but there are no apostles today. There's no spiritual authority today. You know, we just have churches. You come and sing. You talk about Jesus. You talk about the Word of God, and you just wait and go to heaven and live your life the best way possible. And uh, Ted Turner didn't buy into that. And you know what? I don't blame Ted Turner at all. I wouldn't want to buy into that either. But all I know is I hate it for Ted Turner and others that have gone down that road that have not been shared the truth. But I made a promise and a vow. I am not a hireling. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to empower you, equip you with the truth. I'm here to help you to understand who you are. And if you're not taught it in this life by me or others, you'll be taught it in heaven. But how, how much a shame it is for you to wait to get to heaven to understand the things you've got right now. Now, you can go to a church where it's all entertaining and it's awesome and the ministries, as far as what it does, is powerful and you participate in that. But ladies and gentlemen, ministry is not just what happens in a local church. Ministry is what happens when you go to work and when you're standing next to someone or in a cubicle or whatever your environment and you're working with that person. And even though, listen, I am not asking you to get on your job and, and preach the gospel. Woe be to me to do that. I would never tell you to do that. But I'm also telling Telling you to let your light shine. And I've been an example. When I worked only two years in government, I had my Bible on my desk, but I never preached to anyone. I worked hard because I knew everybody was watching me because I was Harold Jacobs' son. And I was given that position, not because of me, but because of my dad. And so I knew that I had to be there early at 7.45 and I had to leave at 5.15. The job was from eight to five. And when I had a 30-minute lunch break, I took 30 minutes, not 35 minutes, because my daddy was, you know, I was in the light of having that job because of him. But remember my story, if you've never heard it before, before. The woman who was retiring the month I left, who'd been in government for over 40 years, she called me in her office and she said, you know what? You've been on this job two years and I know you got to go work for this church. I completely understand that. Uh, I, I thought I was in trouble when she called me in there. It was the week of her retirement. It was on a Monday. She was retiring on a Friday. And there's this big glass door. Man, I was like, man, she's calling me in here. I say, oh my Jesus, am I in trouble? I haven't done anything wrong to my knowledge. And she called me in and she said, she said, I've worked with a lot of people in the state of Alabama all these years. She said, you're the first person I've ever seen that put a Bible on the corner of their desk and live the Bible without preaching the Bible. And I, I want you to know I'm retiring this Friday and I've been in government, but I found a relationship with Jesus Christ in you and I just want you to lead me to Jesus that you know. 
And I prayed with that woman and she retired that Friday. And it blessed me the fact that I wasn't preaching at her. I wasn't, you know, throwing scriptures at her. I did my job. I did it well. I lived it before her and she gave her life to Jesus. And I'll never forget, I was over at the governor's office, the Senator Teague's office one time, and I ran into her about, I don't know, 90 days later. I was just over there visiting daddy and some people over there. And I ran into her and she was completely different looking woman because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. My point is you don't have to be throwing scriptures at them, but you can live the life before them and let them see the real Jesus because the real Jesus is very, very attractive. The real, real Jesus is very powerful to be associated with. The real Jesus is who people want to be around. They don't want to be around a religious Jesus. They want the real thing. And when you live your life like that and represent him correctly, and thank God for a 20-year-old, I had the wisdom to do that. I mean, I thank God that I wasn't stupid and dumb, young and dumb at 20 and done it another way. Well, my daddy gave me this job. I can do whatever I want to do. You know, uh-uh, daddy gave me this job, and I got to answer to daddy. And that's the way I looked at it, okay? My point with all that is, <clears throat> how are we going to represent the Lord? How are we going to represent him in the midst of all that that we're dealing with? And listen, I, I'm not here to say, you know, for you to do anything out of the boundaries of your comfort, but also I'm just pleading with you as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, verse 17, not to be ashamed, Romans 6, Romans 1, 16, not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God to anyone who will receive it. And I just want to stir your heart today. Listen, Ted Turner's out there are looking for us. They want to see us. And I know you're busy. I know you've got things going on. I understand some of you are battling with personal things and raising children and trying to work jobs that are making you work more than eight hours a day. You're balancing all this. And I ain't got time to pray for anybody, Pastor Brian. I ain't got time doing any of that kind of stuff. Listen, yes, you do. And you need to talk to the enemy instead of God. You need to address the enemy sometimes instead of just saying, God, do this, God, do that. Listen, we have been given authority, not in us, not in Metroplex Family Church, but in the name of Jesus. Somebody called me this week, and they're not here because they're moving into their new house, but they said, Pastor Brian, what about my, I just hope my new house that I just built and I'm about to move in this week, I just hope it's protected. I said, listen, this is what you need to do. Two things, walk out in front of your house, read Psalm 91 over your house, and give it back to the Lord in Jesus' name, and walk around it and set the name of Jesus from point to point, and I promise you, your house will be blessed. Because you took authority over the situation, not just, Lord, bless this house in Jesus' name. Go out and read. How long did that take to do that? Psalm 91, 16 verses, right? You go out, you read that verse, you talk to your house, and, I, and you know, listen, men, you need to do this, not the wife and the dog, okay? You need to do this. Hello, men, all right? You need to take authority. Not the wife, she, bless her heart, she's to do her part. You need to go out front, you read Psalm 91 and you thank the Father, give the house back to him and then you just walk the perimeter in the name of Jesus. Now how hard is it to do that? But how powerful it is to do that. When you do that, you're setting a place of peace. You're setting the perimeter. You're saying this belongs to the Lord. I did that the 15 years ago when we moved into 1310 Linwood Lane. 
Mr. Anderson and I talked about it. I said, Mr. Anderson, I'll go take care of it. He was handling all the details of the house. I went over there, got my Bible, stood in front of that house, and I blessed that house, not in Brian's name, not in Sheila's name, but in Jesus' name, and just spoke peace over it. And I thank God for our house. It's a peaceful place, and I enjoy it. And I will continue to enforce it. When we had that tornado that time that came and it was all over the Metroplex, especially downtown or in this area, what'd you do, Pastor Brian? Did you go get in the bathroom, cover yourself up? Well, yes, you can do that if you want to. And you're supposed to be, do things in the natural. But I stood on my front porch and I said to the storm, not to God, I said, this house belongs to the Lord. And then I named all your houses the best I could remember while the wind's out there blowing. I felt like Moses trying to part the waters out there for a minute. Even though I've never been in a tornado, by the way, but I mean, it was getting windy that day and it was just messing my hair up. I was having a bad hair day. Anyway, I'm out there just talking to that thing. And then finally, I just went in there and Sheila said, well, let's watch it on the news. I said, well, we'll watch it on the news, but I've settled in my heart what's gonna, what I need to do. And the, Lord belong, the, the rest belongs to the Lord. And sure enough, it passed away and went on. I'm saying, do we, you're saying, Pastor Brian, we have authority over the way. We have a lot of spiritual authority we don't realize we have. We really do. We're asking God to do things that he's actually given us this ability to do. Not in our strength, but in his. And I just want to encourage you as I close, we need to be addressing our flesh, our bodies, our enemies more and more instead of just saying, God, please do this. God, please do that. He wants to help you, but he's already given you a lot of authority and a lot of covenant rights that we need to exercise. And if you'll join me on this journey, we'll be doing this and we'll be reaching the Ted Turners of the world. Ted Turners are out there by the thousands, by the millions. They're out there. They may not be all be billionaires, but they're out there. They're, they're cynical. They, they, they're, they, they've been taught religious things about God. And I'll tell you what, religion will destroy you every single time, but a relationship with God and truly understanding his goodness and who Jesus really was is all that I want to talk about. I know Dave and Shelby, every minister that I've been around in these last year and a half, they're moving more and more to this place of talking about who the real Jesus is and not who the religious Jesus is. Religion will get you in a place of bondage, but a relationship with God will not only help you to understand who you are for eternity, but help you to understand who you are today and give you this courageousness Go back to my story there. That's the only secular job I've worked out in ministry was working for the state of Alabama. And I worked those 24 months in that position representing the Lord and I never really said a word other than I told her the day that I was resigning that I was going to be working for a church the next week. She was retiring on Friday. I said, this coming Sunday, I start working for Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. That's all I taught her. She knew I was Harold Jacobs' son. But when I led her to the Lord... And I, call, I won't call her name out, but just to call, I, I, I spoke her name. I said, ma'am, I did my best to represent the Lord to you, not in religion, but in relationship. And it changed her life. And it changed my life and taught me something that we can be a light in the middle of darkness. And we can be a representative in the middle of all that we're going through. And so I just want to empower you to do that in Jesus' name. Let's all say this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you've given me. You've given me the Holy Spirit. You've given me power. You've given me covenant. And right now, I commit myself to you, to represent you, to go forth and be your person in every place of life to every, every person I come in contact with. I ask you to help me, to guide me, to show me, and let me know 
how you want me to do things to honor you in Jesus, your name. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, listen, I want to stand with you. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, just commit yourself to him. It's real simple. It's you just call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to come in your heart and life. However, Christianity is not just about going to heaven. Christianity is about life now. And Christianity is about a relationship with God that helps transform others. I want my life not just to be about ministry and accomplishing. That's the thing with pastors that really bothers me sometimes. They talk about how big their churches are and great, how big the numbers are, great. I, I'm, I'm looking for how big the impact we can have on reaching people as far as ministry one-on-one. That's more interesting to me. I hate it when COVID came and the healing school and all that. I mean, we're adjusting now. Things are a little different and we're moving forward and we'll look at that again. But my goodness, you know, those kind of things were a hindrance to the things I wanted to see. How bothered I was at a time where we couldn't even come in contact with one another. But you know, sickness and disease has not gone away. It's still around. And I want to do my part with you together to make a difference. I want to see more people healed today because of the name of Jesus Christ than ever before. I'm convicted by that. And in the days ahead, as Robert comes up, we're going to have our elders and other ministers in the context of safety, but in the context of the agreement of power in the name of Jesus to pray more, to anoint more with oil, and to believe God for people to be healed. Yes, you need to go to a doctor. Yes, you need to be submitting to the authority of that in in the situation you're in. But also believing that what Jesus did with these disciples and these 70, these 120 has never ended. It has not stopped. And I'm going to stand before him one day and we're going to stand before him one day and he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you, Robert? And that's where we're going to have to be accountable. And you know, and again, I'm I'm doing my part. Dave's doing his part. Other ministers, people we're associated with, the ministers in this magazine. Now, is everybody perfect? No. Does everybody have a revelation of it? No. But I'm telling you what, there is a stirring for us to do this. And as my little title of the message is to be courageous in this courage because that's what Jesus was. He was not ashamed of the fact that God is good and that he's still healing today. And I'm not ashamed of that either. And I want to see people healed. People in this church are going through battles physically, and I want to see them healed and whole because that's God's plan.